So if you've been here with us over the last couple of weeks, today is a uh, special day for us because uh, the eldership and the leadership, we've been working together to... Um, to, to discover uh, the vision that God has for us as a church. And we've been working on this for months and months and months. And today, we're going to have a, a quick break after today where we have Praise in the Park in Mexico. But today, I'm going to begin introducing this to you. And because this is family business here this morning, I wanted us to be closer together. Um, so that's why it looks uh, this way this morning. And if if you really, really don't like it, we have two elders that are not here today, so you are welcome to send them an email or call them later at some point, and they would, they would love uh, to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, but we are so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, there are some cards uh, underneath uh, the, the chairs in front of you, and so if you would please fill out one of those cards, it just lets us know that you're here today and that you were joining us for worship. As we get started, um, today's service is going to be uh, different. It's broken up into four parts. We have four different sections that we're going to do throughout the morning. Um, So I'm excited about the time that we get to spend together this morning. And one of the main things that we want to do this morning is we want to talk to God a lot. We want to spend a lot of time in prayer. We want to reflect on the things that God has done for us and is doing in us. And so this morning, as we start, we're going to pray uh, to God and ask him to be here with us, that we would hear what he has to say, uh, and that the lines of communication between us and God would be open today. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for today. Every day that we wake up in this place, And the world that you have created for us is a blessing. God, we are grateful for our family and our friends that are here with us today. And God, that is what we believe we are. We believe we are a family. And we care for one another like a family. So Father, this morning as we start to talk about who we are going to be and what you are calling us to, God, we bring ourselves into your presence So often we ask for you to be here with us, and that is what we desire. But God, through our conversation this morning, we want to bring ourselves to you. And to say, God, that we are here in this place to worship you, to hear your words, and to speak to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said earlier, uh, this is a a special time for us as a church family. And um, for those of you who have been here for a while, which some of you have been here for a while, you have gone through uh, with the leadership of this church uh, different ideas, different ministries, different uh, visions, different ideas of, of who we should be. 
And as I said, for the past several months, the leadership team here has been praying and talking and planning and working, we believe, under the supervision of God to come up with a vision for our church. Uh, but there are some questions that we need to ask for, ask first and some things we need to consider. And the first question that I want us to think about this morning is this. Uh, when I say vision, what do I mean? Because uh, that's an important question to make sure that we're all speaking the same language. So here's what I mean. When I say vision, I mean who we are going to be, why we are going to do the things that we do, and how are we going to do them? What values do we hold to be the most important to us as we move forward? Now, looking at these things here, you're probably noticing that there is a word missing. Okay, and that word that is missing is what? The what we're going to do. Now, here's the thing about churches or organizations, but I think churches in particular. Um, I remember having a conversation with my friend John Machado right after I started. I think it was probably the second Sunday I was here. And, you know, John comes over to me and he takes me aside and he says, okay, all right, so what are we going to do? And I said, well, John, I'm still unpacking, so... The what is the question that we most often want to ask first. We want to ask that question first because it is the thing that we are most interested in. What are we going to do? And um, it, it's where, it's that moment, the what is, where we really feel like we're becoming the hands and feet of Jesus and that we're going out and doing something. And that's what we want. We want to go and we want to do. But here's the thing. If we don't know how to answer who, why, and how, we will not do the what as well as we could if we took the time to understand who we are, what God is calling us to, and how he wants us to do things. Does that make sense? Now, in general, it would seem that deciding on a vision or purpose for the church is not something that should be all that difficult. So when I tell you we've been working on it for like nine months, you probably think we're just really slow, which to a degree we are. But we took our time on this. But it does seem on the surface that it's not something that would be so hard to decide. After all, Jesus himself kind of gives us a purpose, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what Jesus said. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So a lot of places, us included, use this statement to help us define our purpose. And if we're using this statement from Jesus to help us define our purpose or our mission or our vision, what does Jesus tell us to do? To make disciples? What else? To baptize them and to teach them obey what? Everything. Okay? To teach them to obey everything. It's pretty straightforward. 
But I have some questions that I want you to think about. Uh, Take a moment and turn to someone who is sitting next to you or around you and answer this question. What is a disciple? What does a disciple look like and what does a disciple do? What is it? What do they look like? What do they do? Turn to someone. Talk about that really quickly. Okay. So if you, if you think about those three questions, what is a disciple, what does a disciple look like, and what does a disciple do, the first question is not so hard to answer, right? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus is the disciple's teacher. They are his students. But when you get into those other questions, it gets a little bit more tricky. What does a disciple look like and what does a disciple do? We have a general understanding of how to answer those questions, but the, dis- the specific definition can be a little bit more difficult. I mean, keep in mind, church, that virtually every letter in the New Testament is about what a disciple looks like and what a disciple does. So the answer can be complex, right? There is a lot to say about it. Uh, Secondly, how do you make a disciple? Now, we are actually given instructions on how to make disciples throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself says, we, what do we do? We make disciples, we baptize them, and we teach them everything, uh, everything about God. <laughs> when you think about that statement for a moment, we're going to teach them everything about God. No wonder we feel overwhelmed sometimes. Um, but we are given instructions on how to do it, so it's not a mystery as to what God wants and how we can do it, but we all know the challenges of making a disciple. Um, and part of it is we live in a world that is hostile to Jesus, and so sometimes the people that we talk to are not going to be receptive to who Jesus is and what Jesus wants for them. But then we also bring all of our own baggage into it, right? If we believe that we have to teach someone everything about God, then what do we believe we have to do first? Know everything about God. Now that's a daunting task, isn't it? And the one phrase that we are afraid to say when it comes to teaching people about Jesus is these three words. I don't know. Right? We're afraid of those words. And lastly, who are we supposed to turn into a disciple? Who is supposed to become a disciple? Everyone. The entire world, the people you see at the grocery store, the gas station, wherever you are, all of those people are to become disciples of Jesus. Which leads us back to the challenging question. How do we make disciples? Well, what is my point? My point is this. A general vision for a church is easy to come by, but the specific version, vision, who you are, how you're going to do things, takes more time. Now, hopefully I haven't confused you with this as much as helping you to understand a few things. Number one, a church needs to have a vision that is formed by God. Number two, a church needs to understand who God wants them to be specifically. And let me tell you something, not every church is going to look the same. Number three, a church needs to understand why they are doing the work of God. What is the purpose that God has put on their hearts? Something more specific than just go and make disciples. 
And lastly, a church needs to understand how to do what it is that God is calling them to. That is a vision. It's an understanding of ourselves and an understanding of God. So how do we discover and embrace the vision that God has for us? How do we find out what it is and then do it and do it well? Where do we get instructions on this? We do get instructions from the Bible. The Bible is useful in that way. It gives us help and tells us what to do. And so we have been journeying through the story together. And believe it or not, in the story we have, that we've covered so far, we have all the information we need to know how to discover the vision that God has for us and how to carry it out. Because we have seen humanity find great success in being the people of God as much as we have seen them fail miserably. So what we need to ask is this, looking back on the story that we've covered so far, for those who have succeeded... What is it that allowed them to succeed? They listened and obeyed. And remember the, the, the saying that, we, that we've said over and over again. What is the first thing? They would hear, they would listen, and they would follow. Let's look at one specific thing to start out here today. Those who successfully followed the vision of God had absolute confidence that God was leading them somewhere. That God was leading them where? Somewhere. Okay? Uh, Probably the most uh, striking example of this is when God speaks to Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, and this is the call that God puts before him. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Have you noticed there's a reoccurring word? (laughs) Which means what? These things are all going to happen when? Sometime. You are going to go somewhere and these things will happen sometime. So Abram went (laughs) as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. There is something that is striking about this story and something that we need to consider for ourselves this morning. Abram didn't know where he was going. And Abram didn't know when the things that God had promised us would ha- promised him would happen. But he believed in one thing. He believed in God. And he believed that even if he didn't know where the destination was, he believed that God was taking him to that place that he wanted to be. This is what Abram understood about his life. 
This is what he understood. And so when God called him, he got up and he went. He had confidence in God. Church, we can have confidence in God. Because God is a maker of promises. But more than that, He is the keeper of promises. And He made all of these promises to Abram, and did He fulfill them? Yes. Did Abram always believe that He was going to fulfill them? No. But God did it anyway. And to the impossible situation of a very, 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 very late in life pregnancy, to raising his family up to be the nation of Israel, God kept all of his promises. We can have confidence in God because God has promised us that he will be with us, that he will hear us, that he will guide us, and God will follow through with what he has promised. Amen? Mike Smith is going to come and lead us in prayer to help voice our confidence in God. Okay, let's pray. Father, uh, we're grateful that we're here together this morning. And Lord, uh, we're listening to a lesson. Um, today on on our vision. And Father, uh, as Bryce indicated, we don't always know where we're going, but we do rely and stand upon uh, Christ as our solid rock. Father, we rely upon your word that uh, you are with us always, even to the very end of the age. Uh, Father, uh, you are the promise keeper. And We can have great hope and confidence in your promises, Lord. Um, We look back over the years that we've been here as a church, and and we've we've certainly uh, covered a lot of ground, um, done a lot of things, tried to uh, walk the direction that you've wanted us to take, Father, but we probably have fallen short at times, but Lord, we've known always that you were right there beside us. And uh, Father, we know this because um, because of who you are, that you love us so much that you sent your son. Father, we we, um, in our lives, we encounter highs and lows and and some are, are exciting, some are frightening. Again, we know that you're right there with us. And those times when we're frightened, if we'll just take the time to to recall, to remember those words of yours, those promises, and and there'll be a peace that will settle upon us that that is not understood by the world, but it's understood by those who are your children, because you are a very very good father, and we can trust you, Father, to keep those promises and to be right here with us. So, Lord, as we move forward, um, we move forward with that confidence. And uh, as I often say to myself, uh, we hang on for the ride and we try um, to be all that you want us to be, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So first we see that the people who were able to catch onto and follow the vision of God primarily had confidence in God. They believed in who he was. They believed that he would do what he said he would do. They believed that he would take them somewhere and he would bless them at some time, which is a pretty remarkable thing. But it also is a little scary, isn't it? Because after all, how do you just go? If God has a plan for you, how do you know where it is you're supposed to go? Because uh, God doesn't want us to just wander, right? Well, maybe sometimes he does. But God does have a vision for us. And so those who were successful in not only finding but following the vision of God, they asked God constantly for guidance that, so that they could stay on the right track. They stayed connected to him. We see this often from the conversations that Moses and Abraham had with God to the way that David spoke to God at all times. But this point is especially poignant in the story of Nehemiah. I challenge you after we studied Nehemiah a couple weeks ago to go back and look at it because Nehemiah is telling the story in the first person. And what is remarkable about the story is that Nehemiah speaks to God so very much that there is virtually no way that Nehemiah can lose his way. He's talking to God so much that there is virtually no way he can lose his way in following the vision of God. And God did put a vision on his heart. God did give him something that he wanted him to do. He wanted Nehemiah to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. Because as long as Jerusalem didn't have the city walls, the city was in jeopardy. Their enemies could come in at any time they wanted and ransack the city. And so Nehemiah was at home and some friends come back and this is what he hears. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year when I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. 
They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. There's a couple of fascinating things I want us to think about this morning in this particular point. Nehemiah stayed connected. But how did that happen? The first thing that happened is that his heart was broken by what God wanted him to do. He hears what's going on back in Jerusalem. He hears the city is no longer intact. He hears that his people are in danger at all times. And what is the first thing he does? He breaks down and cries. But then what does he do? He prays and fasts for days. And what does God put on his heart? You need to go back and you need to build this wall. Now, Nehemiah is in no way qualified to build a wall around an entire city, nor is he qualified to help defend his people against everyone who wants to come in and take them. But he goes anyway because this is what God has put on his heart. And when you read through the story of Nehemiah, he does this remarkable thing. He says, I was at the gate and this person came and they were trying to destroy me and we told them to go away. And then right there in the middle of the narrative, he says, God, turn our enemies away. Protect us. Help us to do what it is you have called us to do. At every moment of hardship, Nehemiah stops and he prays. In every moment where he can't figure something out, what does he do? He stops and he prays. Why does he do that? Because he realizes this one simple thing. He is not capable on his own. He needs God to do this thing. And he wants to join God in doing this thing. Church, Whatever we do, it is God who is going to make it successful. And we are not asking God to join us in what we want to do. We are joining God. And following Him where He wants us to go. Because we want to stay connected to Him. We can try a lot of things on our own. A lot of things. And it might go okay. But when God is behind something, and when God is making it happen, and when we stay connected to Him, it's a completely different ballgame. We need to stay connected to Him. Here's what I'd like you to do. Just very briefly, I would like to um, invite you to pray with one another as a family. So if your family is here with you this morning, I want you to turn to your family. If your family is not here with you this morning, go join a family because we are all family. If your family sees someone who has not joined a family, go harass them into your family. But I want us to take just a couple of moments this morning, pray together as a family, and ask God, will you keep us connected to you? Do that now. All right, if you're standing, you can be seated. If you're seated, just stay seated. It's time to dismiss our kids to uh, our children's classes. So we have a nursery for birth to two years old, a three-year-old to TK class, and children's church upstairs for K through six.
All right. We had a lot of kids up here this morning. It's kind of cool. <clears throat> okay. So, we've been asking the question, uh, how do you find the vision that God has for you, and then how do you follow the vision that God has for you? And so far we've seen the people that have been successful, they first had, who knows, confidence in God, number one. Confidence that God was going to take them somewhere. And secondly, they stayed connected to God. Uh, They talked to Him, they listened to Him, so they could always know where they were going. And the third thing that people had, and this is a really important one, just as important as the other ones, but this one really kind of sticks out in my mind a little bit. They had courage. And um, what that means is, we've already said that, you know, Abraham left because he had confidence in God, but you also need courage to do some of these things because they did not fully understand how everything was going to work out. I mean, it's one thing to follow God wherever he's going to take you, right? But then it's another thing when you get to a point where you don't know what's going to happen and you see that something bad could happen, but to press forward anyway with what God has called you to. Because usually, if we are doing what God wants us to do, but it becomes too hard or too difficult or too dangerous, what is our response? Well, God must not want me to do this. If it is too hard or difficult or dangerous, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. The other problem is that we do, as Vera just said, we like to be in charge of things. We like to be in control. We want to know that something is going to be successful before we do it. And we want to control everything that happens to make sure that it goes the way that we want it to go. But this church is not the story of faith that we see throughout the big story. We constantly see people receiving a vision from God with only the basic details. And in spite of this, God still calls them to get up and go. So as we said, Abraham picked up his things and left. Esther had to go before the king even though she knew she might die. But one of the most striking examples that we've looked at comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. They were in exile living in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the situation. At this time, astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold that they had made for Nebuchadnezzar. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Now here's what's interesting. These guys here in exile, they had decided a long time ago that even though they were in exile, God was still calling them to live as his people in that place. So they did not worship Nebuchadnezzar. They did not worship those gods. They worshiped their God. 
Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is remarkable what they're about to say. Okay? It really is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. I have to be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever noticed their statement before. And and I think just from memory, I've always read it as, God will deliver us. But that's not what they say. They say, God is able to deliver us. And they even say, that God will deliver us, but... Even if he doesn't save us from the fire, we are not going to worship your gods. You know what that is? It's confidence in God, but it is also courage. So very much courage. To see the wheels falling off, but to know that what they're doing is what God has called them to do. Church, we have to recognize that if we are doing what God wants us to do, then we are going to face opposition. We are going to face opposition from the evil one. We are going to face opposition from those around us who do not want us to do the work of God. There is going to be trouble. And Satan will do everything he possibly can to discourage us and to get us to stop. But that's how you know you're doing something right. If Satan is trying to stop you from doing the work of God. These men did not know if God was going to save them or not, but they promised that they would stay true to him and they did. Those who were most successful in carrying out God's vision for them were willing to step out into the unknown with the only certainty being that God was calling them and that God would be with them. But they had to understand something about themselves first. God has a vision for me and I'm going to go whether I understand it or not. And they went into the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace. And what does he see? Not three people, four. 
and he's confused. Because you may not be aware of this, but when bodies burn in a seven times hot furnace, they kind of go away. So they should have been gone at that point. But instead, they see four. And they pull them out. And Nebuchadnezzar recognizes, your God has delivered you. Here's something to consider. God would have never had the opportunity to deliver them and to have an effect on the heart of the Babylonian king if they didn't have the courage to be who God was calling them to be. Because on the other side of the difficulty, what was there? Deliverance. And that deliverance was a testimony to everyone as to who God is. We're going to take a moment of just quiet. I'd like for you to think of a time in your life where you followed God without knowing. I'd like for you to think of a time where maybe you didn't follow because of what you didn't know. And I want you to pray that God would give you the wisdom to recognize what he is calling you and us to and the courage to follow him. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So, they had to have confidence. They had to stay connected. They had to have courage. And I have bad news for you, but the last one doesn't start with a C. I know, it's disappointing, isn't it? The last thing is they had to remember. They had to remember. You see, when God is calling you to something and it seems difficult and hard and you wonder how you're ever going to do it, you need to have confidence in God. But one of the ways that we have confidence in God is by remembering. We remember what God has done for us. And when you look back at the story and you see all of the ground that was covered and all the things that were done and all of the ways that the people fell away from God, the main reason they fell away from God is that they forgot Sometimes it seems like even less than a generation would pass before they forgot. But if the stories weren't passed down, if the tales of God's faithfulness and goodness and kindness and love weren't passed down, the people would forget. There was someone who didn't forget, though. David, when he's writing the Psalms, does a great job of remembering. David found himself in a lot of really tricky spots. He found himself running for his life on more than one occasion. He found himself fighting against his friends and his family. He found himself in all kinds of difficult places. And there were times where David was absolutely scraping the bottom of the barrel that was his life. And so in the Psalms, he would call out, 
God, deliver me. My enemies are surrounding me. They are on every side. I'm laying my head on the ground as a pillow. God, I need you to come and deliver me now. But then do you know what he would do? He would say, but God, you have delivered us before. You called us out of Egypt. You gave us the home that we have. You delivered us from the Philistines. You have done all of those things. And God, you will do it again. You will do it again. There are two dangers we fall into in this particular area. The first one is that we don't recognize all the time what God is actually doing for us in our lives. If you think about it, every good and perfect gift comes from God, which means that every good thing that happens to you every day comes from whom? God. It is a gift to you from God, which means that God is acting in our lives all the time. And maybe he's not moving mountains or parting the sea, but he is still moving and acting all the time. And church, we could spend our lives praising him for that and recognizing what it is that he's doing. What are we going to do in heaven when this is all over? Sing about it for eternity. We're going to sing about it for eternity. Which makes me think, hey, there's plenty to say about this. <laughs> that God is doing something for us and in us. But we have to recognize it. And secondly, we have to look back. We have to look back on what God has done. And we have to recognize God for what he is doing and what he has been and how he has blessed us. You know, sometimes in churches, particularly when you've been in one that has been through a lot of seasons, the temptation is to look back and say, I remember when we were this or when we were that. And I want us to capture this or that again. I want us to have a youth group that has 50 people and I want us to have all these things. The remembering that we need to do is not that kind of remembering. Do you know why? Because we're remembering who? Us. We're remembering us. We need to remember God. I've asked two people to come and share this morning. If you guys would come on down. And they're going to tell you about a time in their life uh, where God gave them victory or a win when they didn't know how it was going to happen. So let's welcome Shirley and Michelle. All right, this thing is scary. Um, So I just wanted to share with you, boy, I had like a gazillion things going through my head, but I chose one. You'll be glad. Oh, anyhow, so I grew up going to church my whole life, and I loved being religious. I loved going to church. I loved singing. I loved all the things that we did. And I got to be in my 20s, and I um, was married at the time, and God put me in a place where I was 
seeing that my relationship with God wasn't the same as other people's. They would talk about God talking to them. They would talk about what they had learned themselves from the scripture. And I saw, you know, the change in their lives, how they were acting on it. And I didn't have that. I had the church face. I knew all the right things to say. But I had stuff in my heart and my mind that I knew should not be there. And I didn't know what to do about it. And I'm working at volunteering at K-Love Radio, and one of the things I used to struggle with was fearfulness, which those of you know me, um, fear of the dark, fear of everything, fear of getting hurt, fear of being late and getting in trouble, just fearful. And um, I'm at the studio at night. For some reason, I was given the 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. shift, which 9 o'clock is my bedtime, so... You know, God <laughs> has a sense of humor. But anyhow, I am so fearful there. And um, one night there's a red hardcover Bible in the studio, and I am just scared to death. The window's wide open. It's dark outside, and I won't even turn my back to that window. So I'm trying to pull carts off the shelf behind me so that I can plug them in. And you don't have dead air, so I can't run from the studio and just leave Caleb off the air. So I open the Bible and I end up in Psalms, Psalm chapter 3, verse 5. And David says, I lay down and slept because the Lord sustained me and he would save me from all my enemies, loosely paraphrased. And I looked at that and I read that and I said, that's not me. I am fearful. How could David, being chased by his son, and his enemies trying to kill him. How did he lay down and go to sleep? And I said, I want that relationship with you, God. I don't have that. And I had no idea where that statement would take me and that prayer to God um, would go. And I ended up meeting with, um, studying the Bible with a lady who went to a, a Church of Christ um, out of Boston, the International Churches of Christ, they came to be known. And for the first time, someone told me that I could live what the scripture said and that I was being religious and didn't have a relationship with God, even though I had gone to church my whole life. And instead of making me walk away angry, I was like, this is what's missing. I was missing relationship. And I had nowhere no idea where that would take me and it was a long long journey but I am here today because God's word speaks the truth and when God tells you that you can be different and that things can change even though it looks daunting and impossible trust him and every day God asks me to trust him even when I don't know where he's taking me and when I trust him I end up where he wants me to be It's really crazy how um, how the spirit works and, and gives you the stuff that fits in so well. And you don't know, because we didn't know exactly what we were supposed to talk about. Um, but I'm reading a book by Philip Yancey called Disappearing Grace, and I recommend it to anybody. Um, and a quote from it is, At the heart of sin lies a lack of trust that God intends the best for us. When I was a teenager, I told my Bible class teacher 
that he was lucky since he wasn't a Christian in his teenage years. He could just have fun and not feel guilty about it. He tried to explain to me that that was a a fallacy, that God wasn't trying to keep me from having fun. He was trying to keep me from getting hurt. When I chose my first husband, I was looking for someone to have fun with. I remember telling my sister that God didn't care who I married as long as I didn't break any laws. Being young is pretty crazy. Um, I ended up getting hurt pretty badly, and so did my children. When I was ready to try again after many years of loneliness, I tried to listen to God's advice and prayed for a, a whole lot. I had to wait for his timing. I hear he has very good timing. Um, he brought me Sterling. He's a man who truly puts my needs before his own. He is patient and kind, never rude or boastful. He's not demanding or irritable, and he looks for and finds the good in all of life. And, man, do we have a lot of fun. So there's a, there's a phrase I want you to keep in mind. It's a weird one. So you may need to write it down if you, if you want. But the phrase is, Ray, I forgot to remember. I forgot to remember. And what I would like to suggest that you do is you write that down on a card and you put it on your refrigerator, on your bathroom mirror, somewhere you're, where you're going to see it. So that you will remember to remember. It is so easy for us to forget. And here's the amazing thing about where we are now. When we look back on our lives and the life of this church and we see how good and faithful God has been, what's he have for us next? What does he have for us next? That is such... It's so beautiful that God has plans for us. That God wants to grow his kingdom through us. That God is already preparing people to encounter us and actually like us. (laughs) Or tolerate us. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us powerful memories. That you would help us to be in touch with the feelings that we had when you were faithful. The relief that we felt when you delivered us. The joy we experienced when we knew you were with us. God, we want to remember who you have been, how you have worked, and we look forward to seeing what you will do next because you are so good and so faithful. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. There was one thing that sort of played a lot throughout the story. God said it often. Other people said it to God often. The phrase that we saw so much in the story was this one. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And if we want to think and put our mission or vision in the most simplest of terms, the feeling that we live with, that we want to take with us today is this. We want people to know that there is a God and that He is Lord and that He sacrificed Himself for us and that that has changed our lives forever. That God did such a thing for us. And church, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, what God has given for us. Our hearts can't help but overflow and our lives can't help but be different. As we take communion together this morning as a way to end our service today, I pray that you will remember what God has done for you. That you will find yourself in a place without expression where you are deep in the understanding of how much God loves you. How much God loves you. With all of your warts and flaws and blemishes, with all the wonderful things you do, God loves everything about you. And God has delivered you from sin and death. God has delivered you from sin and death. God has delivered you from sin and death. It no longer has any hold on you. It cannot stand against our God. It cannot stand. So as we drink this cup beneath this bread, we are remembering and we are celebrating and we are looking forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these things. This thing that we do every week, God, that draws us into a moment with you. Where, Father, we eliminate all other things and just focus on your love for us through your Son, Jesus. God, will you overwhelm us in this moment with the realization of how great your love is for us. May that fill our hearts today. And may it change who we are all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.